Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Learner's Corner podcast. This is the podcast for lifelong learners where we learn from anything and everything. My name is Caleb Mason. And my name may or may not be Todd Hicksonball, a.k.a. the Todd Father. And we have a great episode for you today. Today, we are talking with Joel Thomas, who is the lead pastor at Mission Church in Gilbert, Arizona. Basically, he hangs out with cactuses. I'm just kidding. He does a lot more than that. So Joel is somebody we've been super, super excited to be able to share with you guys, um, just our conversation with him. And and, and he's a super, super leader. Um, he's got an incredible story. Oh, yeah. Like his story, the, the story of the church and, and how this has all happened for him coming into mission because contact is everything. Um, he was at one point for many years, he worked for North Point Ministries. He worked um, under Andy Stanley. And so um, people, you wouldn't think that people would leave Andy Stanley, but but he's actually a person who did and has gone on to, to be great in his role as lead pastor. But we're super, super excited to share um, this episode just because um, the leadership principles and, the, and really like values that we can pull from it um, are just going to be phenomenal of, of him going through this transition and leading well through it in the midst of, you know, there were moral failures that he was kind of stepping into whenever he took the job and um, the, the, the leadership before him, some stuff had gone down. And um, so, yeah, tremendous, tremendous value to be able to hear from somebody. And I got to just say, like this episode, as Carrie, as Carrie Newhoff would say, this is this is jet fuel. Because I like name dropping Carrie Newhoff. I'm trying to speak that into existence. Yeah. So uh, before we get into that interview, we have our Learner's Corner recommended resource of the week. I just got way too hyped on that. And you went like a little bit like demon. Scary. It was a little weird. <laughs> Caleb, what is our resource of the week? So for this, I'm going to recommend um, a podcast, a specific podcast Hey-o. episode. You know, sometimes we recommend um, podcasts, and I do recommend this podcast, but I want to specifically recommend an episode of this podcast, and um, it is from Rethinking Youth Ministry. It is episode 20, mm. and it is called How to Take, Embrace, and Learn from Criticism. Yes. And it's a phenomenal episode. And you're going to see that um, Joel has had to deal with a lot of this stuff as well. Yep. Taking and dealing with criticism. And so if you're wondering how to continue to learn from that, I highly recommend this podcast episode. And that's just a great podcast to follow in in, in general. Like that's it. like if you're in student ministry stuff, phenomenal. I would say if you just... If you just are in life, are if you if you are breathing right now, you need to subscribe, rate, interview their podcast, and then do the same thing with ours. You need to rate, review, and subscribe as well. But because you're listening, we know you've already done that because you guys are so, so awesome. That is our Learner's Corner approved resource of the week. Caleb's dying laughing at me right now, but that's okay. We also want to give you a short note before we jump into our conversation with Joel. I was a cotton-headed ninny-muggin'. And Todd actually drops out um, about a third to a half of the way through this conversation. Guys, I have no idea what happened with Skype, but something did. Exactly. So Todd didn't get to sit in for this whole interview. So if you're wondering why he disappeared, that's why. I literally vanished. But that's okay because that's why there's two of us. Because we're equally as awesome. I'm just better. So without further ado, here's our conversation with Joel Thomas. Well, Joel, we're so excited to have you on the Learner's Corner podcast today. 
Man, it's awesome to be with you guys. Thanks for letting me jump into your community a little bit today. Yeah. Now, you're the senior pastor at Mission Church in Gilbert, Arizona. Why don't you tell us a little bit about mission in your church? Yeah. So uh, Mission's a church, a little over 20 years old. Uh, It began in a school uh, out here in the East Valley of Phoenix. Uh, Started with the name Superstition Springs Community Church, which is an interesting name for a church. Uh, Interesting name. (laughs) <laughs> it was uh it was renamed before I got here but um uh mission's been here a little a little over 20 years <laughs> excuse me I'm the third lead pastor of the church um and uh we're in a really growing and thriving area of the city in fact it's the fastest growing part of Phoenix uh currently and um lots of lots of young families I mean it's just um what what used to be farmland tons of farmland cornfields and um, and, and really dairy farms, uh, has now been overtaken with, uh, the land of suburbia. I mean, it's neighborhood after neighborhood, school, neighborhood, neighborhood, dentist office, school, you know, it's just, it's just, uh, grown and sprawled dramatically. Mm -hmm. You know, tell us a little bit about what mission looks like, uh, today, because we're going to kind of get through, you know, the story of mission in your time there, but give us a picture of what mission looks like today. So today uh, we are um, we're sort of in in still in a little bit of uh, relaunch mode. We're I say relaunch. We're we're launching into a brand new season uh, of our church. We're we're aligning to a what's really a young new vision uh, for our church. Uh, as you'll hear in a few minutes, because of some of the things we've been through, uh, we've had a lot of turnover. But there's a a brand new core of people here at Mission, and we're still in some ways discovering who we are. And um, have all the time new leaders stepping up, new people uh, wanting to contribute uh, and be a part of what of what God's doing here. And um, uh, it's really an exciting time. It, it's sort of a it feels like for a lot of people that are just coming, they're getting in on something uh, early. But um, in reality, we've been around a long time. Um, but understanding where we are. Um, in God's story and, and the story of what God's doing through mission um, is really important for them. Um, but it is sort of the early season of uh, a rebuilding towards a new vision. So, yeah. So, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, kind of where mission is today. Now, let's go back a couple of years. Tell us what led you to mission and kind of where mission was at whenever you first got there. Yeah, so I'm going to try and be uh, brief on this. Uh, there's actually a, a podcast from years ago on Andy Stanley's podcast uh, in January of uh, 2000. What would that have been? January 2015, uh, where we did a podcast. I talked through the whole process of mm-hmm. how that happened um, and how I got here. But the reality was um, I was at North Point Community Church in Atlanta, Georgia. I started there as an intern. Uh, I'd been on staff there nearly 17 years. Um, when I first got there, uh, loved the vision, uh, loved what was happening there. I did not think I would be there long. Um, I thought, I'm going to take this and go do this somewhere else. Um, the longer I was there, so 16, almost 17 years later, um, I never thought we'd leave. Uh, by that time, I was uh, married. I'd helped open several of our campuses, um, was uh, uh, involved in the building and creation of a lot of that place and ministries, different ministries there. And 
um, which was just the uh, ride of a lifetime. And probably the early years were the most exciting uh, for me. But uh, the last few years were really sweet years. I was the lead pastor at the original campus. Uh, Andy had stepped out of that role and um, was leading the broader organization. And um, I was the first intern at the church, had been around the longest. It seemed like um, I was uh, the most logical choice for that, although I don't know that any of us were really qualified. We actually used to call that the body bag job. We all knew it was coming <laughs> at some point. But nobody nobody really wanted to follow Andy, but he was he's a tremendous leader. He gave me incredible support. Uh, the last three years we were there were awesome, um, getting to step into that leadership role and really um, refocus that original campus, not on creating churches. This was the vision statement for North Point Ministries, creating churches unchurched people love to attend, instead of creating other churches, but being a church unchurched people love to attend. And my job was to refocus that church on the local community, not what God was doing through that church to launch other churches, but to begin to be a church again that was really focused on the local community right there in Alpharetta and reaching unchurched people. And uh, there were just some exciting things happening there. And um, this was an opportunity that came up not one I was looking for by any means. Um, as I told you, we we weren't. I wasn't looking to go anywhere. In fact, I used to tell people if um, if they fired me, we would still go there because I wanted my kids to grow up in that church. And um, uh, my wife and I lived uh, like two and a half miles from the church. Our kids went to school halfway between our house and the church. We lived in a neighborhood with my brother and sister. Kids got on the bus with their siblings, went to church with their siblings. It was it was. The mayor of the town was one of my good friends, so it was a it was a place we had deep roots. Uh, we never saw the Lord leading us away from. But uh, there had been many opportunities to do other things before, but this one came my way a few times. And after saying no a few times, they sort of convinced me to eventually have a at least have a discussion. And um, if you listen to the discussion I had with Andy, I, I tell the more full story, but. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll, really, link, we'll link to that in the show notes too. So if people want to find the whole perfect. story, they can do that. Perfect. So the Lord really made it clear that my wife and I ought to be open to at least whatever he wanted to do through us in that. And early on, honestly, I thought it was a consulting opportunity. I'd done a lot of consulting with churches while I was at North Point, And, uh, this church was going through a difficult season. The previous pastor, uh, had been, um, caught in a moral failure, several moral affairs, failures. In the end, it came out that there were multiple affairs over the course of seven of the 10 years that he was here. And it was, in in many ways, really devastating um, for the church. And um, so I was approached uh, initially as somebody who might be willing to come out and, and teach in the interim while they were looking for a lead pastor. We came out and did that. Um, and we were actually, I was on vacation out here with my family and told them, Hey, when they asked me, I said, well, we've already got a plan. We're coming out to Scottsdale. It's not far away. We're going to be here over these two weekends. I've already talked to my wife. I'll, I'll do one of the two. I'm not going to speak both of my weekends of vacation. And, um, <clears throat> we came and it went well. And I just, I just tried to encourage people here. And then after that was when they really started asking us, Hey, would you consider this? And the answer was no. And, <laughs> and then eventually the Lord made it really clear. Um, that um, this wasn't a consulting opportunity. It wasn't. It wasn't uh, uh, an option. You know, if it was something we wanted to do or not. 
that we were supposed to start walking through a series of doors that ultimately led us to moving here, which was really challenging. I tell people all the time, just transparently here, it, it wasn't anything about you know not wanting to live in Phoenix or not liking people here. Um, it, this was a step of obedience for us. It was uncomfortable. It was not what was in our plan. Um, we moved away from everybody that was comfortable to us, but there were a couple of things in that, you know, along this way, um, in addition to knowing what this church was going to go through in a change of leadership and how difficult it was going to be for people to trust after what happened with the previous pastor, um, you know, the Lord made it really clear, like, none of that is our responsibility. You know, our responsibility was to be obedient and that we were supposed to surrender the outcomes to him. That. Um, you know, we can try to play God's part and determine the outcomes or or try to manipulate outcomes, determine outcomes, but it doesn't usually work out well for us. Our job is to be obedient. His job is is to, to deal with the outcomes. So we uh, we made a huge uh, step and leap of faith. We I left, which w- was not for a better opportunity, but I left what I thought was probably one of the best opportunities in the country mm-hmm. uh, to come to the opportunity God wanted us to be in. And um, Andy could not have been more supportive. Uh, he told me all the time he didn't want me to leave, but he understood and he knew that he was clear that this was God's calling for us. He's been an amazing friend to me since I've been here, probably as good a friend as I've had. So he's been supportive through some really difficult seasons. Uh, especially the season when I first got here. Um, but yeah, we stepped into a really difficult, tumultuous situation. And um, yeah, getting here and a new leader with a new vision with fresh eyes uh, didn't help things. It made things more <laughs> difficult, actually. You know, you, you've made, at least from my perspective, and I'm a little bit further away, but you seem to have made a few, you know, major changes whenever it comes to mission. We're going to ask about that um, in just a minute. But what I was just wondering is, do you remember the first time that you realized that you need, like, things that needed to start changing? Yeah, it was before I came. <laughs> <laughs> And and I'll say some of those things changed. You know, I came in with some preconceived notions that needed to change. But, you know, the, the short story of this is, is that when I had the first meeting with uh, a representative of the church, they were telling me, here's what the church is all about. Uh, here's what we've built the church around. Here's what our focus is. Here's our mission and vision. And the end of that conversation, I just said, or at the end of his sort of presentation, I said, man, I, I am not your guy. And he's like, oh, really? Why not? And I was like, well, here's the thing. I'm just one person. I'm not, this isn't thus day with the Lord. This is thus day with Joel. And um, I, I listened to all that and I think it sounds good. And it's, and I understand why you've developed the church and designed the church around that mission and vision. I just don't think that's the mission and vision of the church. Like that's great for something, but that's not what the church is for. You know, we don't get to we don't get to decide. I mean, you can say it however you want. There's lots of different mission statements in churches, but if it doesn't include the great commandment and the great commission, some version of those two things, that's not the church. It's something else. And I just told him like, there's not I, that's my opinion. Um, it's not who I am. It's not how I'm wired. And if I'm if I'm ever involved in leading a church the rest of my life, it'll be focused on 
loving God, loving others, making disciples, reaching people who are far from God. I mean, you can say it however you want, but that's that's really my passion. And I don't think that's at the center, the core of what your church is all about. And no, no offense, just that's just my opinion. And um, the funny thing, funny thing about that is, is I at that point I was like, hey, I just I need to be excused for a second. I got up, you go to use the restroom. We were sitting at a restaurant, and I came back, and he said, hey, I was thinking about what you're talking about, and for all of those reasons, I think the Lord might be leading us towards you. <laughs> I was like, what? Like you were you even in the conversation I was just in? And I was like, well, why do you say that? And he said, well. I've been around since the beginning. You know, we had a pastor for 10 years before our most recent pastor, and we really started with a vision of reaching people in the East Valley, of leading. It was really evangelistic. It was it was all about being a church for the people who didn't yet go to church in the East Valley. And he's like, we've, we've, we've moved a long way away from that. And I think this might be part of what God's up to and what we went through, that this is an opportunity for us to reevaluate. And so he said, he said, I really think you might be part of that. I said, well, here's the deal. You go back and tell all, tell the board and all the other guys, you tell them what we talked about and you tell them what I said and relay the conversation, you know, fairly. And if you guys are still interested in talking, I'd be happy to give you some time. We can talk about that. I still don't think I'm your guy. And so Early on, I, I I began to see that just the whole trajectory of where things were headed, not that there was a bunch of bad things happen happening, not that, you know, you know, the the church was an apostate church. Like that's not what I'm saying. It just wasn't, in my opinion, focused on and driving towards the right things. I didn't know I thought the most difficult things I was going to face were the lack of trust and following the previous pastor. Um, as it turns out, that would that was not the most difficult thing we would face. Um, uh, basically, turning a pretty large ship ship in a totally different direction would be that would be the bigger shift. And and some people at some consultants uh, that we were talking with at the time, uh, both at um, Vanderblumen and and some other places, you know, when we talked about the consequences of shifting, choosing a leader that would lead the church in a completely different direction, um, we talked about some of the realities, and they warned us, you know, that we would have turnover upwards of seventy to eighty percent of the church. Wow! And so, uh, with knowing that, um, the board of elders at this church made the decision that. This is the right. This was the right direction. After praying through it, this is the direction we needed to go in, and um, we knew it was going to, in time, change everything. And that would be a deal breaker for a lot of people that they would say goodbye to a lot of friends, but that to be faithful, to be my my role in the obedience was to say yes to, to come. Their role in obedience was to be open to the Lord leading in a new direction, and. So the really great thing is we were all sort of risking together, mm-hmm. um, and we were all in it together because we were. It was a, it was a decision the board made before I even came, so it wasn't even really my decision. Um, now how that change was going to play itself out, they were giving me the leadership to figure that out. But, um, but yeah, so you walk in with fresh eyes and you start looking at everything through the lens, through a completely different lens than they had been looking through things. And, um, 
it began to reveal all sorts of misalignment, systemic issues, um, challenges, some of which I probably took on too quickly, if, I, if, I, if I'm honest, looking back. I was going to say, whenever it comes to that, you know, the fresh eyes perspective, um, have, have you had to, um, like, hold some stuff back because, you know, hey, we're not quite ready for this change yet, or, you know, I'm going to tackle this instead of that? Do you understand what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah, I think, and, and you know, there's some things that I immediately went, oh, we got to stop doing that, or we shouldn't do that, or we need to do this. Why aren't we doing this? Um, that And there were some of those that I, I probably stepped in and, and made some of those changes too quickly. Um, but there were others that I definitely knew after after realizing that there were, you know, there weren't, there was some level of uh, resistance to change. Uh, it began to slow down. I started quicker, then we slowed way down, um, and then started taking sort of a more methodical pace towards uh, making that change. But I'll say at the same time, you know, the longer you're in a culture, the harder it is to see things the way you did when you first showed up. So another important thing has been people that I know that are like-minded to me in, in you know, effective ministry or what the church is supposed to be about. Having those people visit, having those people see it with fresh eyes. We've even inserted, We since I've been here, we've had several new team members come from the outside. Their fresh perspective uh, helps me to have fresh eyes as well. Because after being here for some period of time, you know, it's hard. You become, uh, you become, you begin to assimilate into the culture that's already here. And culture is the hardest thing to change. You can change the mission and vision statement, vision and mission statement on the wall. <laughs> Um, and and you can get agreement to that. People can all raise their hand and go, yeah, yeah. And then there's so many things that that means, okay, well, if that's true, then we're going to change and do this. And the culture of the of the organization resists it at every turn because there's already a culture flowing in one direction. And you can hold up a sign and say, hey, we're going to go in another direction. Everybody goes, oh, great. But then when you actually make people start walking in a different direction, that's when they feel it. Mm-hmm. So. Those were the wake up calls. <laughs> can you can you talk to us about, you know, maybe give, you know, one or two examples of some of the big changes that you've made over these past um, four years? Gosh, yeah. Um, so it's been actually it'll be th- it's, it was three yeah, years sorry, just three in years. January. Oh, that's good. Man, I don't even know where to start. I, I will say this. Uh, I would say probably the biggest uh, shift was this church grew significantly. And I didn't actually know this until after I got here. Um, after I got here, I should tell the story from this angle. After I got here, I started beginning to meet with other pastors in the area because especially there's there's some other large churches here in the East Valley. And I began to meet with uh, some of the other pastors here in the East Valley and um, really in the Valley in general. And I was trying to learn, like, I, don't, I mean, this is so different than the Bible Belt. And what don't I know? I need to learn what I don't know. And figure out how approach here is different. And one of the things I began to learn was not just about the area, it was about our church. And um, to a pastor, especially here in the East Valley, um, I heard the same story, and they didn't collude with one another as I met with each of them. And I could name four guys from four really large churches here in the East Valley. And to a person, each of them told me this, this, the story they told me of this church growing was, people leaving their churches to come to this church. 
Now, some of that was proximity. Some of these people lived closer to this church as it was planted. They built a new church. But some of it was this church really was targeting and attracting churched people. There was a, a very high focus um, in terms of programming, in terms of strategy, even vision, um, not around unchurched people, but, but, but around churched people. Now, it, it attracted unchurched people. People came to faith. There were a lot of people baptized, but the primary driving force for the massive growth was a focus on churched people, speaking to churched people, programming for churched people, accommodating to churched people. Um, now, insert me, who comes from North Point, which is probably the most <laughs> unchurched-focused church in the world, maybe. Mm-hmm. And um, I saw the weekend services completely different. I saw the need for programming and groups and care all completely differently. Um, the way in which those things ought to be utilized, the way in which we were going to grow, who we were going to target. and. As you can imagine, when you say, hey, the focus is not going to be you anymore. The focus is going to be people who aren't yet here. In fact, not and not people that are at another church that are like you, people that are completely unlike you. So that means we're going to do a whole bunch of things that maybe you wouldn't necessarily like or aren't necessarily your preference, but we're going to do it so we can reach people who are far from God, who aren't yet here yet or aren't yet anywhere yet in terms of their spiritual journey. and. Um, that's probably an example of the biggest boat rocking vision. And I didn't lay it out that way in the beginning, but as you can imagine, that's what we had to get people uh, clarity around is, um, you know, I, I didn't, I'll tell, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you one conversation that was indicative of this. Um, I remember at one point pretty early on, as we started to make some of these changes, I sat down with somebody and said, Hey, I just want you to know that I was part of the group that, that said, yes, that's the guy. That's the guy that God has for us. We need to bring him here. I was all on board. I was supportive of you. Prayed for your family. You, you know, you getting here. And um, and uh, then when um, things began to change, they were like, this isn't what we signed up for. This isn't what we thought we were getting. You're not what we thought we were getting. And they said, you know, we we were all on board with getting you here because we felt like you were the person that was the right person to come and serve us. And you're ruining our church. And um and there were two things that stuck out of me about about that is um thought first of all, I didn't come to serve you. I came to serve with you. Yeah, I'm here to serve you. I, servant leadership's a good model, but I came to lock arms with you and carry out the Great Commission in our local community. That's why I'm here. So I didn't come specifically to focus on you and and to serve you. Again, hear my heart in that. It's not that I don't think my job is to serve the flock. It sure is. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, part of shepherding the flock is steering them in the right direction. And they didn't like the direction I was steering them. That's okay. Maybe this isn't the church for them. Um, the second thing was, they, you know, was you're ruining our church. And I thought, this isn't your church. <laughs> this is the church <laughs> of Jesus Christ. And, and 
and on some level, those two things were they were systemic challenges that were rampant. And and part of it is because everything we were doing previously, not everything, a lot of what we were doing previously was communicating to them that this is about you. This is for you. Um, and the church is for believers. It's for building up believers. But the overwhelming focus was not just on building up believers. It was giving them what they want so that more and more of those people would want to come here. Um, in the end, there was very little focus on the primary mission that was given to the church. and. It was those were those were that was a reoccurring conversation I had all the time that was so challenging. Has there been anything that you've done to kind of combat combat that mentality of you know this is our church or Joel you're meant to serve us? You know I I, I don't know that I've I don't know that I can speak as an expert on this. I can tell you that um, early on. Um, it was really hard because there were people that were like, hey, if you don't do this, we're leaving. If you don't give this greater focus, if you don't change this back, those were hard, hard days and hard conversations because I knew it was going to it was going to mean us laying off staff. I knew it was going to mean reducing the number of people who are coming on the weekend. I knew it was going to be cause problems uh, in our volunteer ranks amongst our staff that are that are working hard. Many of them that have been here way before me. Um, and I'm going to make their jobs harder. But I think that's really where um, the way in which we got here became important to the way we should continue. You know, God led us here to take a step of obedience, and we were already committed to serving the Lord in a certain way, and we were committed to reaching people and people people that you know there were far from God, and and so. Even in those most difficult days, it, it was easy to sort of resist that and to say to people, "Hey, look, um, I'm not. I don't. I don't think that's why God brought me here." And if you were to ask our board, which you should, um, that's not why they felt like the Lord led me here either. And this is the direction we're going, and we want to help you turn this corner with us, but. We realize that for some people, they're not going to turn the corner or their path and part of their spiritual journey was not being a part of this community uh, in the in the at least in the near term. And that part of their spiritual growth path was to go somewhere else. Um, So I don't know that I don't know that I I did a fantastic job at probably speaking to that. I I think I focused more on, as opposed to saying what we weren't going to do anymore or what was wrong with everything in the past, because it wasn't everything, but what what was wrong. I continued to try to point people towards where we were headed and what we're going towards, which sounded like a foreign destination. You know, it's probably what it sounded like, not to super spiritualize this, but what it sounded like to Abraham when God said, hey, you know, I want you to follow me and I'm going to take you to a land I'm going to show you. And all of a sudden they're out in the wilderness and he's going, where's this land? Because this isn't it. Like, where are we actually yeah. going? And I think for a lot of people for a long time, it was it was hard to see where we were actually going. But I had lived it. I mean, I, I had seen it. I had seen God grow people extraordinarily, reach tons and tons of people, us baptizing people week after week after week who were previously nowhere on their spiritual journey. And I knew it was possible. And 
I knew we'd eventually get there. Um, trying to help people see that early on was really, really difficult. And they had to choose to either trust that this was the right direction or, or not. And some people chose, a lot of people chose not to, and that's okay. What have you done to remain encouraged during this time? Because I'm sure, especially, you know, maybe even <laughs> days like today, but especially early on, whenever you know you have so many people leaving, what did you do to remain encouraged? Yeah, I, I'll tell you this. Number one, um, gosh, the, there was this downward trajectory before I got here. When I got here, it continued, if not gotten worse because of the change in direction. Um, you know, and I'm going to, I'll be totally transparent. There were days that I, because of the trajectory of things, and we were a long way away from this, but I was like, I don't know how to stop this. I don't, other than go back to doing what we we're doing before, I don't know how to stop the momentum of the downward trend because I mean there were things there were conversations there were things being speculated things are making things up nothing moral but just like about motives or about the leadership of our church or about me specifically and um they were just they were crazy and it was just it was when people when I would hear from people I'd be like wait what what's being said what what are we what are they saying we're doing and um uh I remember many times, multiple times, driving home. I live about nine miles south of the church and driving down Power Road and thinking, um, okay, Lord, like I'm really clear that you brought us here, but I don't know why. I don't see purpose in this. I don't understand what, what you're trying to prove or accomplish. Um, I don't feel prepared for this. I don't feel like I'm, I'm the right guy for this. I didn't feel like that from the beginning. And, um, and, and there were days if I'm, if I'm totally transparent, there were days where I thought, you know what, if this goes, all goes really South and we can't stop this and we have to put a sign out front and we're going to sell the property because we can't pay our mortgage or it wasn't even, will the church be okay? What will we do then? I wasn't even worried about that. I thought. I don't know if I can be okay. Like, I don't know if me as a leader, if I don't know if I can emotionally handle that, which was actually really good for me. And it was sobering because it led me to become more dependent on the Lord. It led me to, to talk with people that could help me process that counselor group of people that, that helped me in the midst of that. And God was growing me in that. When you think about significant moments of growth in life for you, it's when you were stretched the most, and I was being stretched far beyond what I knew my capacity and ability was. And that's when my wife and I began to understand purpose in this. And the things we began, God began to open our eyes to were our marriage was stronger than it ever had been. Our faith, our prayer life, our relationship with our kids. I mean, it was all healthier than it ever had been. Because that's all we had. <laughs> you know, there was, in some ways, we felt like aliens. And this was so important to our own personal faith because we would not have grown like that where we were before. In fact, one time uh, my wife and I were driving. You didn't ask for the story. This is a quirky story, but we were driving. I was driving to speak at a family camp that I speak at every year. And we were having this conversation about how hard this has been. This was a year and a half after we had gotten here, how hard this has been. And 
one of the things we really realized when we this was we had gone back to Georgia and then we were driving to this family camp and we just visited a bunch of friends and we were like, gosh, that doesn't feel like home anymore. Like one of the hardest things is that just didn't Phoenix didn't yet feel like home, but the world it's 18 months later, the world had moved on. And as much as we were a part of the fabric of that church and society, like they they had moved on. And we still had great friends, but we didn't even fit in that world anymore. And now we were feeling like, gosh, we don't feel like we fit anywhere. And there was this sobering moment as we were driving the car that I said to my wife, like, I don't think we'll ever probably experience what we experienced there, maybe until we get to heaven. And then, this is the dumbest thing ever, I, I'm not going to lie, uh, we're listening, just the radio's on, random station, my wife falls asleep in the car, we're driving, it's late at night, we got the kids in the backseat, they're all asleep, Jen falls asleep, and Carrie Underwood's temporary home comes on the radio. And I'm like, <laughs> you got to be kidding me. But I sat there and tears streamed down my eyes and I thought, oh my gosh, like we had made this world our home. Mm -hmm. We had lost sight of what we're really here for. And it made no sense for us to leave Georgia if the goal was to experience heaven on earth. Not, not I know heaven's going to come to earth, but like now, heaven is not for now. Heaven's for later. And not that we don't get to experience glimpses of heaven now, not that the kingdom of heaven doesn't come to earth, it does, but not all things are going to be made right. We're not going to experience in this life what we were created for. And we were having, we got a real strong wake-up call to, not that you should be feel guilty about great seasons of life, but we got this real strong wake-up call to, no, no, you're doing ex exactly what you're supposed to do, and it's exactly how it should feel, because this isn't your home. And um, so when you talk about encouraging, um, that may seem odd, but there was a sense in which for us, that gave us, that put wind in our sails. Mm -hmm. It was like, wow, like there's rewards for this. This is what the scripture talks about. There's, there's, there's tangible rewards in this life, our relationships, our family, this adventure, this trusting God, this deepening in our faith. This growth in leadership and uh, in life that we wouldn't have experienced any other way. But there's also eternal rewards for obedience in following the Lord. So that that's how I'd answer the question. You know, I think that's what that's what really brought the encouragement um, in the seasons that we really we really needed it. Mm -hmm. You know, as uh, we get ready to wrap up, are there any? And I'm sure that there are. Uh, but are there any other big lessons that you've learned in your time just at mission? You know, um, I'll say this, and, and um, I only say this, I, I'm going to parlay those two things, but I'm going to answer your question, but it'll sort of be a little bit roundabout. Um, I, I really feel like the, the longer I've been in ministry, I've learned everything I know, almost everything I know, I've learned from Andy. Um, I can't say, and for all of your podcast listeners that know who Andy Stanley is, um, you know him from afar. My guess is you probably respect him. You have some admiration. You <clears throat> think he's a great leader. Um, I can tell you, I, I know him very close up. And 
as I've gotten to know Andy more working for him and now being on the other side of the country, I left his church. He didn't know me anything. This is a guy who has been an amazing friend to me. In fact, if I talk about this too long, I'll get emotional because um, when it didn't feel like I had any friends or anybody to understand, this guy would regularly follow up with me, call me and check on me and check on my wife and my family and talk me through some of the darkest days. And I remember one specific time when I called him and I said, I just don't know if I can do anymore. I don't, I don't know what else to do. And I, I called him to say, I need you to talk me out of something because we were, it was back to school weekend. We were supposed to, in fact, we'll, I'll give you, I'll send you a link. You can link people. If they want to hear the worst sermon they've ever heard in their life, I'll, I'll, they can listen to this one. Um, it was a pivot moment for us at church because um, I said to Andy, I sort of come to the end of myself and I said, look, I don't know what else to do. The reality is, is here's what's going on. And it's just craziness. And I just feel like I need to pull the curtain back and just tell the whole church, here's the deal. And I can't fix this. We need to decide as a church that we want to fix this problem. And, um, and I, I was calling him cause it was crazy. It was back to school weekend. We were supposed to start this new, like felt needs driven series. And I was like, I don't even want to do that. I want to go and I don't even want to give a sermon. I just want to talk about this issue. And I called him and I could take you to the parking spot in the Bash's parking lot outside Bash's a grocery store. I couldn't have the conversation here at the office. I didn't want to have it in front of my wife at home. I sat in a parking lot spot. And on a Tuesday, Andy does not have two hours on a Tuesday. I can tell you he has meetings from the start of the day to the end of the day on Tuesday. It's his meeting day. On a Tuesday, he spent two hours with me as I was on my phone in the parking lot. And I bawled my eyes out and told him, can't do this. This is what I'm thinking about doing. Talk me out of it. And he said, no, that's exactly what you should do. And what Andy encouraged me to do is something most leaders don't do reflexively. And if if it's the biggest lesson I've learned is it's as it relates to transparency. I've seen Andy model this over and over and over. Secrets make people sick. Secrets make organizations sick. Secrets make leaders sick. And the truth is, is there was a secret. It wasn't a, a, a real secret. It was only we were trying to keep it from people. But in some ways, there were some challenges we were dealing with that we weren't talking about publicly that I didn't know how to fix, that I couldn't fix. And they were things people needed to know about. And I was embarrassed because I thought I should be able to solve this. I should be able to fix this. I've been trying. Some of it was my pride. I don't want to talk about this out loud. And when I finally got to the place where I was surrendered and I was willing to do that and be fully transparent, it was a huge shift for us. I gained more trust on that one weekend. And I'll tell you, if you go listen to the sermon, it's the worst sermon ever, but it made the big it made a bigger impact than any other sermon I've I've given maybe in my life because it was radical transparency to our church and at the end of every service, people stood and clapped and I was like, "What are you clapping for? That was horrible." <laughs> and you'll listen to it, you'll cringe, but I'll tell you at the end of the day, and I wouldn't have done it if I hadn't seen Andy model this over and over. And North Point's been through some difficult things. And I've watched him with radical transparency go to our congregations, go to our churches when things happen and own them. And I've watched people gain greater respect, greater trust, um, a greater desire to follow and, and, and to be a part of what's happening, be a part of the solution as a result of that. And so for any of your learners that are out there, leaders that are out there, 
you just can't go wrong when it comes to being a transparent, authentic leader and owning the things that you need to own. Um, do it essentially doing what you say and saying what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do the things that I say I'm going to do. And when I don't, I'm going to tell you, I didn't, and I'm going to say what I do. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you exactly what I did or didn't do regardless of, of how that shines a light on me. There's that radical transparency and authenticity um, that most leaders don't lead with because they're fearful. They're fearful of how people respond. But you can either fear how people will respond when you tell them, or you can fear how people will respond when they find out from somebody else. Make no mistake, secrets never stay in the darkness forever. That stuff always comes to the light. And people will respect and trust you when you bring it into the light as opposed to when somebody else shines a light on what's going on. Well, Joel, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. And thanks for for your transparency in everything and for investing in me and for investing in um, our listeners as well. If people want to, you know, learn more from you or follow you or mission, what's the best way for them to do that? Gosh, I mean, they can follow our church on our, our website. All of our, you can go to our website, uh, missionaz.org. Um, we have a live stream that goes out every week. There's a podcast. There's um, all of our social media channels. You can follow me on social media, on Twitter, on Facebook, Instagram. I'm pretty active on all those. We can put all those, link all those on your your podcast. But yep. um, would love to would love to uh, have you follow along. And and as you do, let me know that you joined on because of the Learners Podcast, and I'd love <laughs> to follow you back. I mean, I mean that genuinely. I'd love to follow some of your, your, your listeners back if, if they're following me as a result of this. So, Great. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Joel. Yeah. Thanks. So, Todd, what were one or two things that you took away from our conversation with Joel? So one of the things is that it's always a smart decision to move to Arizona. It just sounds nice out there. Like, I don't know. It's can, just cold I, here I right can now. speak from experience. Yeah, Caleb, you lived in Arizona for a while. We need to do a podcast episode where we interview you about your experience living in Arizona. That's okay. I think we should do it. But that's okay because, you know what, I know that when you don't want to do something, you yell at me until I stop talking about it. So, what did I think of Joel's um, uh, episode and what's my takeaway? I think the biggest thing for me was um, transitioning. So... With, with Joel, he's leaving, you know, Andy Stanley. And like I said at the beginning, like, nobody ever leaves Andy Stanley. Um, or at least we would think that, you know, working for a great boss. But the first thing is transition. And if you caught in that episode, uh, Joel's talking about how Andy really came alongside him and partnered with him and has helped him in the years since he's left even of just being a great mentor and just, like, coming alongside just being him. there. Yeah, and just not just being, being a mentor, but being a friend. Being a friend, listening whenever he needs to listen, offering advice when he needs to do that. So that's the first thing is transition. So for me, uh, I've just gone through a transition of coming into a, uh, a new job. And so this is kind of fresh in my mind. Um, and having people who are willing to ask you not just, um, not just you know, hey, here are five things you need to do to start well, but hey, how are you doing? And what, what, what are you struggling with right now? What are things that you're winning at right now? And that's what you have me for. And that's what I have Caleb for, and we do that every you, Friday. You also have me for, here's the things that you need to do. Here's how you need to stop being a jerk. Um, so that's that was the first thing that I, that I took away from it. Here's the second thing, though, is the importance of, of, of staff culture. 
Um, and I think that, that Joel really has done well in terms of not just staff culture, but like church culture. Um, but I think it starts with staff. And I think that came across really clear with him of being a culture setter. And when you come into a situation like him, now not everybody's going to come into a situation where you've had a moral failure before you were there and all that kind of stuff. So that's not everybody's story, but for everybody, their story does look like having to work with culture and work within the culture that's existing. And how do you build that and make that um, into something that looks more like what you actually are? That's actually a great lie that we tell ourselves is that the culture that we currently are is the culture that we're going to be in six months. We need to continuously be, be doing that. And I think that comes out really clear in this episode with Joel. So if you enjoyed this episode, the best way to make sure you don't miss our next episode of The Learner's Corner is by subscribing to our podcast on whatever podcast player you use. That way you don't have to think about it. The episode just appears in your podcast feed. It just comes. Which is really the way that I get most of the podcasts that I listen to. Dude, I get reminded all the time. I'm like, oh, hey, so-and-so's podcast came out. Also, if this podcast, this episode specifically, or any podcast that you've listened to in the past have helped you in any way, we just ask that you would just leave a rating and write a review of the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Or when you see it shared on social media, you guys can go ahead and share that. It also helps us to gain visibility whenever you do that. So whatever way you do it, do it. I feel like that should be our new tagline. Yeah. Wait, Nike took that. Just do it. So thanks so much for listening to the podcast today. Again, the best way that you can help us is by uh, leaving us a rating, writing a review of the podcast, showing us some love on social media. Let us know what you're learning from. You know, hit us up on our Twitter handle at Learners Podcast. Tell Instagram, us what you're reading. Instagram at the Learners Corner. You know, yeah, tag us, tag us, and you know, post something on the gram. I mean, you guys aren't going to be nearly as cool as Caleb with his book lists, but hey, whatever. Hashtag shameless plug for Caleb Reads 2018. Tag the Learner's Corner, tag Todd and I, and uh, let us know what you're reading. Let us know what you're learning. So thanks so much for learning with us today. Until next time, my name is Caleb Mason. My name is Todd Hicksonball. And we'll see you next time. Deuces, y'all.